0: Today I want to talk to you about being a church powered by grace. Uh, usually when we think of grace, we think about God's saving grace, you know the sort of grace that John Newton wrote about when he penned that that fantastic song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. We all know that song. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall profess within the veil a life of joy and peace. That, that song that we all know so well um, Maybe it's for the last verse That, that, that was the original verses that, jo, that John Newton wrote by the way um, But it's all about the amazing saving grace of God And we know about that pretty well We know that without our faith in Jesus Christ That, that there's no hope for us But when we trust in Christ When we confess our sins to him We're forgiven And, 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 and we receive the righteousness of God Now, we know that pretty well. But today I'm going to talk about a different kind of grace. It's a grace that some of us have experienced a lot and some of us have experienced a little. And it's a form of God's grace that I believe is both undervalued and underharnessed. And that is to become a church powered by grace. Herbert Jackson was a missionary, and when he first began his work on the mission field, he was given a car to use, and he very quickly discovered, as in the first time he went to it, that the starter didn't work. And so he came up with a cunning plan. Um, He went to a nearby school and he got the kids to push start him. And then, as he did his rounds, he'd either park on a steep hill so that he could just get going himself, or he'd leave the thing running while he was visiting people. And he persisted with this plan for a couple of years. Finally, um, ill health forced the Jackson family to leave and a new missionary came to replace him. Anyway, Jackson starts proudly telling this new missionary, this new upstart fellow about, you know, this is what you've got to do to get this car going and starts telling him the whole process. And before he'd finished telling him the process, this new fellow's gone, he's popped the bonnet and having a bit of a look underneath the bonnet and, and he ends up cutting off, uh, Dr Jackson, um, there's actually a loose cable here. And he fiddles with the cable and tightens it up a little bit, gets in, turns the key, and away it goes. Now, for two years, there'd been all of this needless trouble that had actually become a routine for this fella. He'd done it every day, year, for for two years, day after day. When the power was there all the time, there was just this loose connection. And for me... Much of the Christian church today, well, this is just a metaphor for how we do ministry. So much trouble that we go to striving to get stuff done. So much trouble becomes a routine where we've got to do certain things or, or one particular person, well, they're the minister and they do that stuff. When the power is there all the time, all we've got to do is make the connection because the power is there we set aside one person to, to be the priest or the minister or the pastor and we think yep they're the ones they're, they're gonna, they've got all of the ministry stuff covered they'll do God's stuff they can pour out the ministry and we'll soak it up and the extent that people like me go along with that and sometimes we get trapped by it and feel that our self worth is, is all tied up in that but to the extent to which we allow that to happen determines how much of God's grace we deny you. When Bush Disciples was first getting started, I had a question on my mind, which I still haven't answered, by the way, and that is, uh, what am I going to be called? Uh, I mean People always want to know What what, what do you do Well do I tell them I'm a minister Or do I tell them a pastor What, what, what What am I going to tell them Like the Anglicans And Roman Catholics They've got priests The Pentecostals Call them pastors Or senior pastor If you're really important um, the, the Presbyterians have ministers. The Uniting Church at various times have had ministers, pastors, padres, youth workers, deacons, deaconesses. And you can have female deacons and male deaconesses, by the way. Go figure that one out. But when when I was in the UC, I was a minister of the word. But I didn't like the way all these titles tend to set that one person, that one particular person, apart from the rest of the congregation. Because my understanding is, I am a servant of Christ. You are a servant of Christ. We're all servants of Christ. We're all part of the one body. We just have different functions. And one part of the body is not more important than another part of the body. Um, in the previous church I was in, I used to have the title Reverend. I hated it. Uh, because There's nothing more to be revered about me than anybody else in the congregation. In the church, the one who cleans the toilet is as holy and to be honoured as much as the one who preaches the word. By the way, very often it's the same person. Um, (laughs) But we're all one in Christ. We just have different functions. I know when they, they started redoing the Synod directory for all of the ministers in Queensland, I thought, here's my opportunity. And I rang the Synod, because there's only a couple of people who called me reverend, and, and I rang the Synod office and I said to them, listen, on the mailing list, do you mind if you change my title from reverend to mister? I was talking to the office guy and said, I don't think I can do that. I said, of course you can. It'll all be in a database, and all you've got to do is go to the database with the title. In the title field, it'll have... Well, you just type over that, the the word's MR, the letters MR. And and that way, whenever I get a letter from the Synod, it'll just say Mr. Michael Brumpton instead of Reverend Michael Brumpton. I don't think I can do that. Anyway, um, shortly afterwards, I got a phone call from the head honcho, uh, the secretary of the Synod. People think that the moderator that that, that people elect is the head honcho, but the power is really held by the secretary. And she said, now, Michael, what's this that, that you're going on with? Um, yeah, you know, what, what are you going on about? I told her what I was wanting and she said, you just don't understand, Michael, the polity of the church. And, you know, you're you a minister of the word and you have that title reverend. It's part of our polity and it's part of the particular ministry to which you were ordained. So they refused. They, they, they wouldn't change it. And so we continued. Whenever I'd go to the mailbox and get the mail, there'd be two types of letters that I would receive. There'd be the letters from... Most people, which would be Mr. Michael Brumpton. And then there'd be the letters from the Synod and from Robin's grandmother (laughs) who would address it as reverend. Because to these two people it it was really important for them that, that, hey, he's a reverend. Um, But I actually believe this is left over from an era when the minister was a position of, in, in a lot of cases, a lot of power. Um, But certainly it was always a position which was to be respected and honoured and upheld in the town community simply because of the position that somebody was in. And so I've personally reacted against the title of minister or any title that sets me apart from you guys for that matter. I'd have a bit of a rethink as I prepared the sermon today. I'm happy to be known as a minister of the gospel, but only if you understand that you also are a minister of the gospel. Paul says here in verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by a working of his spirit. I've reacted against the title of minister because of what it in the past has conveyed and what it continues to convey in some circles. But that's not what the title minister or the word minister is supposed to convey. The Greek word which Paul uses for minister is the word diakonos, which literally means servant. A minister of the gospel is a servant of the gospel. A minister of Christ is a servant of Christ. A minister in the church is a servant in the church. The position of minister is not a position for power or for influence or or to gain the respect of the community. It is to be a servant. I serve the gospel. I serve Christ. I serve together with you in the church. Because I am not the only minister here in Bush Disciples. We have all been made ministers of the gospel. We have all been made ministers or servants of Christ. I'm happy to be known as the minister of the gospel. But only if you understand that you also are a minister of the gospel. Worthiness and ability, knowledge and intellect have got nothing to do with it. Look at the Apostle Paul. We, we, we think of the Apostle Paul and we put him up on this pedestal and think, wow, this great man of God, this great Christian. How did Paul view himself? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he describes himself as the least of the apostles. As unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He goes on to call himself literally an abortion of an apostle. I was hopeless. In 1 Timothy, he describes himself as the very worst of sinners. And here in Ephesians chapter 3, he says... I am the very least of the saints. Or as the NIV translates it, I am less than the least of the saints. Now there is a minister who knew himself better than what the congregation knew him. He knew that he was unworthy to be a minister. He knew that he was unworthy to be a servant of the gospel, but he was made one. And I know I'm unworthy to be a minister. And if you guys knew me as well as what I knew me, there's no way any of you would be here at church this morning. He's just so unholy. And we'll go and learn from somebody who actually lives out his Christian faith a whole lot better. Paul knew that he was unworthy to be a minister or even to be a servant of the gospel. But he was made one. It was a gift of God's grace. It was a working of God's power. And if you're anything like me, you're probably sitting here think, hearing this and thinking, you know, I'm unworthy to be a minister. What's he going on about this? You know, ministers, they're those other people. I'm congregation, I'm not minister material. Is anybody here thinking that? Nobody or are you all liars? (laughs) Yep, there you go. There's proof you're not worthy to be a minister just like me. We're all liars. We lie to ourselves. We lie to God. You know, if you feel unworthy to be a minister of God, you feel exactly the same as me. You feel exactly the same as Paul. And Who knows? you might only be as good a minister as Paul. In the church, there is a measure of God's grace, the power of God to minister. It is God's grace to give power to serve. And this grace is something that we should all be experiencing. We experience it as we actually step out and begin to minister. It's God's grace that he has called you and it is God's power that he delivers as we actually make a start. I'm sort of thinking, I haven't got this written in my notes, but it's just occurred to me, any of you fellows know anything about engines, it's like a turbo. Right? Like a turbo doesn't give the motor any extra power until you actually start. And when the engine starts to work, it pushes in a whole heap more air so that it gets, the engine gets a whole heap more power. And that's the way it is with God, with the Holy Spirit. There's so much we can do in our own strength, but as we go beyond our own strength, God pushes in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power to minister. People like me, um, ministers, vocational preachers, if you like, we're not very good at sharing the grace around. Sometimes it just feels a whole lot easier to just do stuff ourselves rather than spending the time to encourage others and build others up as ministers of the church and, and to encourage them into the ministry that God is calling them to. And sometimes people like me need people like you to step up and say, Hang on, Michael, you're hogging all the grace. God's got all this grace here that he's, that he's wanting to pour into us as a church. You're not the only servant here. You're not the only minister here. You're hogging the grace. And my prayer is that this church, without exception, every one of us, every one of you and I, will be able to quote verse 7 as a statement which is true for us. Have we got it up there, Robin? Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. My prayer is that every one of us will be able to say that and mean it. That the truth of it would just be coming through us all the time. that every one of us will experience the blessing of God's grace and service. Now, that doesn't mean that you're all going to be preachers. It doesn't mean you're all going to be teachers. I mean, they, they might be gifts that God has given me, and he might have given some of you those gifts as well. But God gives each of us different <coughs> gifts to be used in different ways, but we're all part of the one body. I'm not particularly good at pastoral care. There you go, there's a confession. That's why sometimes when, you know, like a lot of the smaller churches like ours, like they'd call the fellow like me, they'd call him the pastor. Well, I'm sort of thinking, I sort of struggle with that because I'm really not a very good pastor. Not very good with pastoral care. So I'm just way too quick to just say to somebody, yeah, we'll get over it. Um, That's just the way I am. But some of you, some of you minister by bringing the love and the mercy of God to people who really need that kind of care in ways that I can never do, because I haven't been gifted in that way. I'm not very good with little kids. Sometimes I can't even remember their names. I've known your families for years. I've known your kids for years, and and you know sometimes I was oh hello. Well, when I do that, it's because I've forgotten their name, and I get thullery thorough. Th- 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 thoroughly embarrassed by that. But some of you, some of you minister to the children in ways that I never can. Some of you are really good at leading kids to Christ. Some of you minister through children's stories. Some of you minister through music and song. Some of you minister by encouraging and exhortation. That means urging others on. Some of you minister in your prayer life. Some of you are able to just get up and share a beautiful prayer that just glows and it's just obviously the Spirit of God coming, just speaking to you, saying pray like this. Some of you pray often at home in private, praying for the church, praying for the lost, praying for those who are in ministry. Some of you pray for me and my family every day and I thank you with all of my heart for doing that. That is your ministry and it is the grace of God giving you power to minister in that way. Some of you minister by helping to set up or helping to pack up after church. We can all minister through sharing our faith with those who don't know Christ, by inviting people to church who aren't engaged in a church. The common element here is that it is a gift of God's grace. And it is a working of God's power. You know what that means? It means serving God beyond our physical capacity. It means serving God beyond our intellectual capacity and trusting in the power of his spirit. That's the grace of God. As the power of God comes and works through us who are unworthy. And that's why it's called grace. Grace. We haven't earned the right to be called ministers. But by the grace of God, he makes you to be a minister of his gospel. And you don't have to be a Christian for decades to serve. I heard a statistic on the wireless just the other day. I don't know where those where those statistics came from but I reckon it would probably be about right and what he said is 90% of people who are led to Christ are led to Christ by people who have been Christians themselves for less than two years do you believe that? I believe it You don't have to be a Christian for decades. You don't have to go to Bible college for decades to experience this grace of being a minister of Christ. That's what makes it grace. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We haven't worked for it. It's the Holy Spirit who helps you to do these things. I'm just going to have a little drink. Last week... Ephesians 2 was about how we together are being built together with Christ into this one building which is purpose built and we're being built together and together he makes us ministers of the gospel. This is his eternal purpose and the church we Christians are witnesses to this purpose. We give witness to this purpose. Get your mind around this one, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that means the many-faceted wisdom of God, Right? there's a lot to God's wisdom, it takes a bit of fathoming. Through the church, the, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known... To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now we're starting to get a bit spiritual here. I hope you're okay with that. Anybody want to get spiritual when they come to church? Or is it? Yeah, yeah, good. Because God is spirit, and we worship Him in spirit. And here's a spiritual truth: when Paul refers to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, he's not talking about political leaders like. Some people try and tell us today. He's very clearly talking about Satan and his demons. Right? When Paul refers to the the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, he's talking about the bad guys, the bad spirits, Satan and his demons. And later on in Ephesians, we're going to come to chapter 6. And this is where he takes it up more fully and, and he explains to us the spiritual battle that is taking place around us all the time. Right, So that will be in a few weeks' time when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. But here we just need to learn one thing. We know that Satan and his demons are defeated, don't we? I hope you know that. They're defeated, but they're still running around. You see, it's, like, it's like God has signed their arrest warrant, and one day that arrest warrant is going to be executed. They will be thrown into the fiery pit. But until that day... Satan and his demons still have a fair bit of action happening in the world. And they do their worst to try and destroy the work of God. Now here's the spiritual truth. When Christians minister, not when just one person ministers, when Christians minister, when the least of the saints minister, When the least of the saints serve by the grace of God, Satan and his demons shudder. They are reminded of the will and the purpose of God which includes the grace that he shows to us and includes their demise. Here's an example of what happened while Jesus was ministering. We tend to think of Jesus as having 12 disciples' eh? Well, he had many more disciples than that. but It was the special 12 apostles who were in the inner circle, if you like. But at one stage, Jesus sent out 72 people on mission. He sent them out in pairs. He sent out 36 pairs of nobodies. We don't even know their names. 72 people like you and me. He sent out to go ahead of him into the towns that he was going to come into. And he sent them out on mission. And when they came back, they said to Jesus, oh, they told him all of the amazing things that God had done through them. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you get what's happening here? When ordinary people, people like you and I, become ministers... By the grace and the power of God, Satan and his demons lose ground. Satan doesn't want you to be a minister. Maybe you don't want to be a minister either and Satan's very happy with that. Guess what? God has made you a minister. Satan doesn't want you to be a minister because it takes, it takes his ground from him and it reminds him that his days are numbered. There's no better witness to the power of God than changed lives and people who are empowered by God's spirit, active in the world. And so the God of grace makes you his minister. I want to look at verse 7 again. Is it still up there? Yep. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by a working of his power. Will you say that with me? You happy to say that with me? Of this gospel, I was made a minister. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by a working of his power. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I'm here in a few years. Yeah? Let's say it again. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Don't let some of us be the grace hogs. There's a, there's a measure of grace here for all of us to experience.